This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Ben Selheim, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on the show. Did I get that pronunciation right? It's a, it's a strange name. It's, it's, yeah. a, it's an Estonian name with an Australian accent. My father wanted to build character, so he gave it to me. Okay. <laughs> um, so you're, um, you're in Victoria, Canada, not Victoria or Australia at the moment. That's right. Yeah, we moved over here about a year ago uh, from Australia. Uh, we we uh, found a house that we liked um, sight unseen and when we were in lockdown in Australia in the pandemic and, and it's been, you know, it's the last two years has been just as crazy for us as I suppose it has been for everybody else in the world. And so, yeah, we've ended up in Victoria, which is my wife's hometown. You know, it's a beautiful town. It's, it's you, know, it's a, you know, Vancouver Island is, is a fairly large island off the coast of uh, Vancouver and it's, you know, surrounded by mountains. There's, there's beautiful lakes and there's, you know, water everywhere. There's, and it's actually got some of the mildest weather in Canada, which means for winter it, it mostly rains for six months yeah. rather than <laughs> snows. But yeah. It's very, I mean, I, I go to the U.S., once a year, well, pre-COVID, it was once a year <laughs> or twice a year sometimes, and I I only ever go in December, January because of work. So I never go to Canada because it's just too cold, and I never go to the east coast of the US either because at that time because it's too cold. Mm. You know, degrees like you know minus ten or minus fifteen, I can't even fathom that. We we don't get that in Victoria. Victoria, right. it'll get down to maybe minus three or four. We had last year, we had a great snowstorm that dumped about a foot of snow. But that's that's a rarity. Most of the time here, what you have is a kind of is a winter where you know you get a bit of snow. Um, it'll hover around you know five degrees or something for six months and pour rain most of the time. And then, but then the summers are amazing. It literally won't rain for four months, Beautiful. and everyone will be saying, "Oh, we haven't had rain for a while." And compared to an Australian idea of what a drought is, it's like. What do you mean for a while? It's been, it's been pouring rain for six months. Finally, we've got some decent weather. That's right. Yeah. So let me introduce you. Uh, you're a writer, poet, and photographer. You have a PhD in philosophy, and you happen to be married to the wonderful Tara Moss, uh, who I've spoken to many times before as well. You're the author of two novels, Beyond the Fame's Edge, and we're talking about your latest novel today, the Fatal Dance, about a complex Sydney family and one woman's struggle with Huntington's disease. So I think it's such a good read, but I also, because I know Tara, I kind of felt that some of it was personal. Of course, it's fiction, and of course, you're not those people, but I did see a bit of, a bit of something that I recognised. Yes. Look, when I set out to write this book, it was, um, you know, when the, the idea came to me, you know, 15, 16, 17 years ago, 
and that was to do with Huntington's disease and the incredibly kind of complex series of questions that this disease presents to us to do with testing and how we live and also just kind of disease and mortality and all of these really important questions. So they're at the very centre of who we are as human beings. Mm. So that part is something that I've been dwelling on for a long time. You know, I did my PhD on Merleau-Ponty, Maurice Merleau-Ponty, the kind of the mid 20th century philosopher who writes, who's probably the most important philosopher of embodiment. Um, of the the kind of contemporary or, or the kind of you know, modern tradition, if we can put it like that, and so these questions have always been really present for me, or certainly have been in the last kind of decade or so. But at the same time, uh, there's no question that uh, some of what's happened in in my personal life, if I'll put it like that, has filtered into the novel. It hasn't filtered in as narrative. Like there's no event that overlaps with something that's happened in my own life. You know, that's not what it's about. But in terms of our, in terms of, I suppose, some of the the the, the darker moments of the novel or the more desperate moments or the novel, the moments in the novel where it's really, really seeking to break through to some kind of point of connection to kind of the self and to the body and all of this, I think there's definitely something there that has been generated by my own my own personal circumstances. There's no question, um, definitely. But in terms of in terms of the narrative, you know, no, it's it's you know, it's just a story, and I've just made it up. But oh, of course, yeah. I mean, I think that that's very often the case in fiction. It mm. took me a long time. Um, I've interviewed so many writers, as you know, and just with mm. this podcast, I think I've. Now we're into our fourth year, I think. Time goes so fast. Anyway, so it's been hundreds and I've learnt so much. I mean, I don't write at all, but I've learnt so much. I reckon if I put my mind to it, I could probably with all the skills that I picked up and all the learning, maybe I would be able to do it. But anyway. I bet maybe that's your next <laughs> your next kind of moment is, is the, the book you write coming out of those books. Yeah, maybe. But what I have learned about fiction and regardless of genre, even if it's crime fiction, who you are comes out in that novel because Absolutely. it's who you are. You know, you can't write about someone else when you're who you are and they're your experiences and that's what you know. So if you're applying it to like a dysfunctional family like you are here, it's not that your family's dysfunctional but you're applying what you know, right? Absolutely. No, you're taking yeah. all of the your worst your worst impulses, your best impulses, the things that you love mm. about yourself, the things that you hate about yourself. I think all art does that in a way and I think all good art anyway is you know, is partly about trying to get dig into yourself in some way and mm. get to what's in there and figure it out in mm. some respect. Like it's funny, you know, until, you know, I've done some teaching at university and until you've kind of taught a subject, you don't quite know what you know about it. Mm. And until you've written about something, you don't quite know what you know about it. And, you, and the act of writing is an act of discovery itself. And so just producing the novel I mean, firstly, it's it's kind of knuckle-breaking work and you're kind of pushing up against the self. But also you're, you know, you're you're actually kind of digging in there in some way mm. and trying to, yeah, find answers. Talk to me about the act of writing. Well, I mean, I get I mean it from from I'll I'll speak from my own point of view, and that's, you know, and I 
want to really specify it's very individual for different people. You know, for me, you know, I write for a living partly these days, you know, for just, you know, I produce um, kind of assets for a museum I work for and that kind of thing. And that is just the act of like, it's like writing, putting an email together or something. But the act of writing as what I perceive to be an art form, and I don't know if we can tease those two things apart in any absolute way, but nonetheless, you know, just for the purposes of the conversation. Oh, I think you can because, you know, I can write an email. It, it, it is different, but it, but it's yes. a, it's the same process, and so there's a part of it that's the same. But for me, there's something about getting lost inside that moment of discovery, and it's it's kind of discovery. It's like what will this sentence be, and and how will its sound shapes work out, and how will how will these different words interact, and what will that mean not only in terms of kind of a meaning structure, but also just purely the, the joy of having words ping off one another but do it in a way that's not quite obvious so the reader's not getting, you know, the idea is you've got this language that's dynamic and each word's kind of pushing off the other word in some respect but not in not in a way that's that's too aggressive and so in some sense sometimes you want a sentence to hold together and be really smooth and at other times you actually want some disjunct there and you want the words to kind of give a sense of almost instability within language itself as if the, the, well, the language is clearly, you know, it's a novel, so the language is expressing what's happening in terms of meaning, but it's also doing something at a deeper level as well, purely at the level of sound and how everything kind of sits on the page. And so for me, what I love about the act of writing is getting lost inside those moments, is getting lost inside this ability to to evoke something. You know, I imagine it, it's what uh, similar to painting in, in, in as much as, you know, I, I work as a photographer these days a lot and for photography you're looking at something and you're saying, okay, there's, you know, there's look at the way that light's falling on that lake or whatever it is. It's, it's gorgeous. I wish I could translate that. so someone else can experience that. And you kind of do the best you can. You take a photograph and, you know, and it's a bit like that with, I think, painting or with poetry or, you know, with with the novel. You're actually going, you know, what can I take of this and render it for someone else? And it's never possible to do it absolutely, but that, that impulse of creation is what makes life worth living, I suppose, in in some respects anyway. Yeah, a lot of of authors say to me, and I remember the first time I heard this, I was, uh, you know, it took me a little while to get my head around it, but let me know if you have the same experience. They'll talk to me about a character in a book and she's doing this and she's doing that. And then she, you know, she went off on this tangent, let's say, and I didn't want her to go in that direction, but that's where we ended up. Yeah. Yeah, no, I would definitely agree with that. I mean, it's, it's one of those funny things about writing uh, fiction is that unless you give your characters their freedom, they don't quite seem real on the page. So you don't know what's going to happen. I mean, some some writers do, that said. I mean, I've, I've read about writers who have everything planned out and it's meticulous and they know exactly what's going to happen. I've never had the capacity to work like that. And I wish I, wish I could in a way. I don't know. It might, it might make life easier. But no, for, for me, very much is a question of, you know, figuring out who these people are. I mean, with Redmond Campbell, my kind of antagonist slash protagonist slash villain in this novel, like it took me a couple of years to really figure out who this bloke was. 
and he's he's kind of a rat bag and he's horrible and he does terrible things but at the same time he's a man who's been driven to the edge of his tether in some respects but he still makes awful decisions and there's no forgiving him but at the same time his frailties are human frailties and I suppose I feel like well firstly I feel like my job as a writer is not to judge him as an individual but to to judge the systems that he kind of exists within but but secondly my job as a writer is to understand him Mm. and to get inside his skin a little bit and so in in that I can really understand what you know what other fiction writers say about this and and absolutely there's a sense of being you know the the ability to be surprised by your characters is is one of the the wonderful joys of fiction I think. So tell me about growing up where did you grow up and how you ended up in Canada tell me about that journey and how you came to writing. (laughs) How how long have you got? I've got Um, a while. (laughs) Okay well I grew up in Western Australia until I was about 10 uh, I lived in kind of small town Perth, and it really was a small town back then. It was, you know, my school was kind of the next block away, and I walked to school in my gumboots and things. And then I moved over to Sydney and lived in Sydney until I was about uh, 21. I, I went to a, uh, a private school, which mostly taught me all of the things that I don't want to be. I, you know, went through the GPS system and um, didn't have a great experience there. And then I did a degree uh, in uh, kind of a medical science degree. Um, oh, so you thought you wanted to be a doctor? Well, no, no, I, I did nuclear medicine actually, which oh, is right. um, mostly because I had no idea what I wanted to do when I left school. And I had a friend who said, "Oh, you know, I'm doing this," and I was like, "Oh, that sounds really that sounds interesting. I'll do that." And I just had no idea. So after that, I finished that degree. I worked in a hospital for a year. I hated the vast majority of it, but I had no better ideas. And so then I went and started traveling and I spent about two and a half years traveling. And then I started to, you know, I fell in love with literature. I started rock climbing in Canada. I spent about a year in BC, Canada. Um, oh, right. Is and this before I, you met Tara? This is long before I met Tara. No, this is when I was in my early 20s. Wow. And then I, I hitchhiked across Canada and I uh, went off after about a year and a half. I, I went, did a couple of seasons snowboarding. I did a season rock climbing every day. And then I went and lived in hippie communes in the south coast of Crete and I, you know, spent, you know, a few years cruising around the world and discovering myself and started reading philosophy and literature and I read, I mean, Ken Kesey is is the the novelist who really made an impression on me uh, that I remember, but also I was introduced to the Beats and, you know, and Kerouac and, you know, they're in the lexicon for Australian writers, I think, more broadly, but you know, I hadn't discovered this stuff. This wasn't the stuff that was taught in high school. And suddenly I was totally turned on by literature. You know, I was mm-hmm. I was literally hitchhiking across the prairies in Canada. And I remember I put down Ken Kesey's Sometimes a Great Notion. And I just, I was like, shit, if I can do anything, even a quarter as good as that, I can roll over and die happy. Mm-hmm. I just had, it was so you were so thinking, weird. were you thinking about writing that? That was, I mean, I was writing poetry all the way. You know, as soon as I could write, I think I was writing poems. Mm-hmm. But there's no sense of that being a career path. I mean, to be honest, no. it's still very, there's no <laughs> sense of it being a career path now. It's hard. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very hard. So, so you know, I was, you know, I, was, I wrote a lot of very sincere, absolutely appalling poetry uh, when I was a teenager. And then I came over to Canada and then I started 
to write more poems. And I started on a novel and that got tossed aside. And then anyway, so I, I traveled for about two and a half years and then I came back and, and then I started studying in earnest. And then I studied philosophy and then did a, a writing degree and then did honors in writing. And then I did a PhD in philosophy. So I really kind of went overseas and discovered the things that were important to me that you know, were never presented as options, I suppose. You know, school is very vocationally focused. And so when I was going through high school, it was like, well, you know, do you want to be a lawyer or a, you know, or a taxi driver or, or an accountant? So, you know, if you want to be a taxi driver, just do nothing. And uh, if you want to be a lawyer, study law. And I mean, sorry, I shouldn't insult taxi drivers. I mean, this this people do with with all humbleness, you know. But yeah, but I agree. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. You know, yeah, you're not presented with this, the idea of actually being, hey, yeah. What what makes you passionate about being alive? What are what are the things that you feel you could contribute to the world? These weren't the questions that were presented to me when I was going through high school. It was purely to do with, you know, how do you want to make some coin? Let's guide you on that path. And, you know, obviously there are significant reasons for that because money's hard stuff to get hold of and without it. We live in a capitalist system where life gets very difficult. But at the same time, it's definitely something we could get better at, I suppose, mm. I would say. I think the school system is still traditional in this country anyway that way. You know, mm. it is very vocational. And also, too, you're asked at the age of 18 to be making decisions about what you can do for the rest of your life. I mean, go for it. Absolutely. Who knows, yeah. you know, who, I mean, I look at how my life has gone and how I ended up, who would have imagined that there would even be a business like this and that you would be running it and that you would be speaking to authors every day and recommending oh. reading. Yeah, there's so many opportunities. No, completely, completely. And, and you know, the, the, what I do now for work is, you know, is using this various skills I've learned over the last 10 or 20 or 30 years. But, you know, most of what I do is, you know, I'm doing, I'm writing kind of, blogs and social media posts and taking photographs and producing videos and, you know, doing all of these and managing a website and all of these things that, you know, these weren't even presented as options, no. you know, when, when I was going through schools, no, no one said, you know, I mean, kid, kids were going into marketing, I suppose, but that was a very different thing back then. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. What's your favourite medium? Is it photography or writing? Oh, writing, no question. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow, no, really? No, oh, yeah, no, there's no question. Photography, I love and I love its immediacy and there's a certain technical element to it that doesn't exist in writing that enables you to geek out on equipment and things. But, but in terms of 
what gives me joy in the creative process, it's you know ninety five percent writing. If I can get if I can get lost in a piece of work, then the act of writing is just joyous. I mean, I can spend a whole day just working through a couple of pages, just editing and just trying to get it tighter and like just getting rid of five words that don't need to be in a manuscript, mm. you know, is, is pleasure to me in a way yeah. that, that I don't get from anything else. Mm. So I interviewed Tim Winton a few years back and I have been um, a big fan of his writing and his work. Um, and this is going back to what you were saying. And for some reason as a reader, because it reads so beautifully and seamlessly, I I don't know. And also I should have known better because it wasn't that long ago. And you would think I would have more experience having worked in bookshops, publishing, and now this. I really thought that he sat down and wrote every word as it was, right? And then these Oh, really? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I don't know why. (laughs) And these beautiful sentences came out. Because he's talented. So you just assume that he's just, it's just flowing off the pen. Exactly. Off the keyboard, yeah. And he talked about exactly what you're saying, how long it takes him to write down a sentence and how much editing he does and how much rewriting he does. And in a way that really, I mean, I just can't believe how shocked I was about that at the time. And as I said, it's not that long ago. Yeah. There's a quote, I can't remember who said it, but it's, you know, behind every good good writer, there's a great editor. Yes. And, you know, and I really believe in that. And having, being able to be, be able to take criticism enough that you can actually look at your own work critically and have people come in and say, get rid of this. This is boring. This is great. Can we have more of it? Like you actually don't have the same eyes as your reader. As a writer, you don't see a bunch of this stuff. What you're, you're getting lost in is a different part of the process. And so seeing it with fresh eyes is so important and good editing. And I had, I you know, I had two great editors um, work with me on, on, on this book and I really appreciated their input. And you know, from HarperCollins and, you know, being able to have those fresh eyes. And sometimes Tara will give me fresh eyes on a piece that I just need to get out quickly or I'll give her fresh eyes on something. But generally we don't share work together. I was going uh, to ask about that. Until it's published. Is that right? You don't share before publishing? No, generally no. No, she's she's got my book. She hasn't finished it yet, but she hasn't seen anything except for I read – uh, some of the opening section from uh, Red's Morning, which what became Chapter 2, maybe f- four years ago or something to her, when it was just kind of forming and I was just like getting excited about who this guy was. And it was, you know, and there was obviously there's been, you know, we've bounced around countries and, and kind of our lives have kind of gone upside down and everything's gone a bit crazy since then, as well as kind of pulling the book together. Uh, so that's been a, a long process. But no, I mean, generally we we don't. Unless we've re- we're really time short. So if Tara's got something that needs to go to be published fairly quickly or I've got something and I need fresh eyes, having someone who can, hasn't read it before and can say, oh, look, you know, this is actually a typo. And you don't even see your own typos half the time because you're reading through it. You know, you, you know what you're meant, you're meant to write. And especially when it's really fresh like that. And that's why from, from a writerly point of view, having the ability to put your work down, push it aside, come back to it. I mean, with a novel, if you can push it aside and come back to it a couple of months later, you know, if you've got that time, I think it's really valuable because then you start reading it again as, you know, really with a different sense of what's there and and with much more of a readerly eye. 
Mm. So, hey, yeah. so tell me, because I don't often speak to people that are couple writers, if you like. So do you guys, do you have a schedule and do you have separate offices? And so, okay, see you later. I'm going into writing. <laughs> tell me how that looks. Particularly, uh, I guess in COVID that would have changed things a bit, wouldn't it? Yeah, look, we have separate offices and we always have. Uh, yeah. Lately, uh, you know, I've got my office and Tara's uh, writing from bed because she hasn't been very well and that's the most comfortable place for her but yeah no we have we have separate offices and I think that's very important as you know whatever your creative form you need a space to create where you don't feel like someone's looking over your shoulder I think it's quite hard if you you're kind of if you're thinking about your your reader too much or if you're thinking about anyone kind of imagining what you're doing I mean there's this I mean it's 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 a bit of a digression but uh you know, there's this saying that old old saying again. I, I can't remember who, who it's from, but it's, you know, you've got to write like your parents are dead. And I can't I like, remember who said like that. that. Yeah, but I think there's a lot of truth to it. And from a creative mm. point of view, you need to be a little bit fearless to try to build something that's good in the arts. It's a very complex cultural environment to do that at the moment. And so, so it's very good to have someone read your work before you publish it, I suppose. Um, but, yeah, no, I do think you need, you know, as, as Virginia Woolf said, you need, you need a room of your own to some degree to create. Mm. I've spoken to Peter Carey a couple of times recently. Mm. You know, as you know, he lives in New York. What is interesting about him is he, he has lived there, I don't know, 20, 30 years, a long time, right? in the mm. US, yet his fiction is very much set in very Australia yeah. yeah, and very Australian. Mm. And when I go to the US, I love Americans, obviously, and I'm really attached to the people that I visit there. However, and, and people will often say that Australia and, and the US are similar, and I think that they're hugely, hugely different places. Hugely it's different. Yeah. Hugely different. Canada and America are hugely different. Exactly. That's what I'm getting to. Like, and then we get to Canada and yeah. that's even different again. Mm. But for you, do you think that being an Australian in Canada and then writing and working, do you think that changes the creative process or do you think it changes the story? Do you think you'll be writing Canadian, I, if you like? <laughs> the first thing to say is I think it gives me freedom to see Australia with fresh eyes in a way, mm. a little bit like, you know, what we're talking about in terms of the editorial process. Being able to look back on Australia from this perspective, from a Canadian perspective, and, and, and also, you know, I've, I've spent, I don't know, maybe 10% of my life uh, living in other cities around the world. So, you know, I do feel like I can kind of have a sense of what Australia is and what it isn't and be able to, you know, kind of wade into the cultural mm. argy-bargy, if you want, and have have conversations about some of the things that Australia is good at and some of the things we're not great at. And so that distance is really, really, really useful to mm. me. Um, whether I'll be kind of writing in Canadian or writing in American, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I've got, you know, writing comes from certain places and, and it's located in certain places. And this this novel is very much an Australian novel. It's really set in, you know, it, it's, I, I feel like, you know, all of my most sensory memories to do with swimming in the ocean and, and you know, these quintessential Australian experiences come out in this book. That's its essence, 
you know, and that's this book. But that said, you know, now we're here and I'm having other experiences. You know, I've started, you know, some of the poems I've been working on lately, I mean, all of the poems I've been working on actually uh, are set in Canada in some way or another, even when they're kind of more kind of metaphysical and less anchored. But even like some of the, actually some of the short stories I've been working, starting up lately, uh, a kind of one of them is actually based in Seattle, which is just south of where we are now. That's about being here. But it's also about being, you know, I'm someone who's, I read a lot of political discourse and I know what's happening in the news and I know the dysfunction of the American political system. So I know the how difficult things are politically for the, in, in the States and you know, and that affects all of us. That's the thing, you know, that, that is, you know, America and, you know, and China and, and Russia and the kind of geopolitical kind of world we're living in now, you know, that's the soup that we're all swimming through mm. regardless. And I feel like, I mean, the world is my home in, in a kind of, in quite a concrete way. And, and, and I suppose all of the you know, the difficulties we're now experiencing with climate change only amplify that. It's a small world and it's getting smaller all the time. And, you know, my work is very based within vernacular and a sense of language that's very kind of, that's very Australian. And I I want to get that particular Australian edge to what I'm writing. But at the same time, the vocabulary that I'm using is partly you know, influenced by what's coming through America. You know, I read a lot of American writers. You know, I can't, you can't help but be influenced by that. So, you know, the world of, you know, English, quote unquote English, which is this kind of great hodgepodge conglomerate of a language, in, including, you know, all like, you know, Latin and French and German, like, you know, American vernacular now coming in. It's, you know, it's this, it's this stew that's constantly changing. Mm-hmm. And so I guess I'm, leaping into that stew, if I can put it like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, don't be too hard on yourself. I mean, I don't think Australia's in tip-top shape politically either. So, you know. No, no, no. I mean, there's a lot of, <laughs> lot of some very yeah. average things Yes, 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 yes. Although I did I did hear one thing um, during COVID that made me laugh, and it was a, a Canadian, I like, uh, Malcolm Gladwell, I think. He's, he's Canadian. Mm. Anyway, he was saying that being Canadian is like living upstairs to a meth lab during COVID. <laughs> Don't you love it's, that? It's so true. And it's, it's I mean, it's, oh, it's so amazing. I mean, yeah. I, I know we don't want to get sidetracked by politics. No. But, you know, I, I just, you know, the whole, the Trump era and then yeah. that ends and we're all feeling optimistic with Biden and then, yeah. you know, you just see this kind of total train wreck of American politics and it's still like we're still upstairs from the meth lab. It's mm-hmm. just that now the meth lab's trying to produce MDMA or something. Yeah, it's a little, yeah, yeah. it's a bit better, but it's <laughs> that's calmed it's down a little bit. I don't know what we're doing down here, but anyway, anyway, we're not going to talk politics. Anyway, but we won't yes. talk politics. Okay, so is it strange? I guess maybe not during COVID days, but is it strange uh, working on publicity remotely? Well, funny thing is, the remote part of it is the part that feels strangely normal now because I've already been through two Zoom meetings today yeah, just yeah, as part yeah. of my job. So that it's it's become, that's become very normal. And I've been working on this book for, you know, for really, you know, five years more or less. And and so it's been, you know, being a writer, you 
dig into this weird little cave and just kind of work away and obsess over things. And then occasionally you'll get a, you'll send a bit to someone perhaps and, and get some feedback or something, but most of the time, not at all. I mean, certainly not with this novel. I haven't heard from, from anyone for years. And so you kind of dug in this cave. It's, it's kind of platonic in a way that you kind of then emerge into the light and you're kind of, I think regardless of whether it's on Zoom or in person, you're just standing up there suddenly blinking at all these lights going, oh, um, yes, uh, I, I wrote this book. I hope you like it. I mean, it, I always think it's, it's counterintuitive to a writer. You know, they're locked up in a hole. They're in a room in hmm. a tower writing for years and years, and then all of a sudden we let them out and we expect them to p- perform. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I know. I know. But it, but but we just have this. You no, know, we kind of escape, and then you. And, and there's so much. The other weird part about it is, I will say, is there's so much neurosis that's wrapped up with producing a book. There's so much kind of difficulty to do with. You know, is it any good? Is it like, will people hate it? Will 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 I be attacked for these different elements of it? You know, there's so much there that you're you're really putting a lot of yourself into oh I agree totally I always say with writers I mean it's such hard work uh, obviously and it takes years and then you you're doing all of that and rejection like getting published is not easy so you've got to deal with rejection and then you finally get published and then you put your book out there and then everybody has an opinion about it and, and I, just, I couldn't people, do that. I know. A lot of the people who have opinions as well, it seems like, the people who are, who are like, no, this is boring mm. because it, it's really funny. I mean, it's it's like it, it's like Yelp reviews. You know, people don't yeah. tend to write Yelp reviews unless they, unless they really, really hated a place. Yeah. And so there's this weird thing that you publish something and then almost no one tells you it's any good. A few people will attack you for it being rubbish, but then... Three years later, you'll meet someone and they go, oh, your book changed my life. It was amazing. And you'll go, oh, thanks. That's why I started this business. I, I, actually, I don't even think I've ever talked about this publicly, but this mm. came from the fact that every time, because, you know, I've been working in the book industry for well over 30 years now, but every time I, I was out or at a dinner party or wherever at a party, people, you know, if I told them I worked in books or publishing, they'd be like, wow men would mainly say I haven't read a book since I was 17 they'd always <laughs> confess that right and women would usually say you know what do you recommend I read and I had a really women are just a lot smarter than men basically yeah. <laughs> and I looked around me one day when I was thinking about what next and I thought all the reviews that I'm reading in the newspapers are largely negative reviews they're critical reviews hmm. and no one has ever asked me what not to read and that's how this business came about. Yeah, that's great. No, I, I really like that story. And being able to, like, I've got to say just as, as a writer now, thank you so much because it's so nice to be able to speak openly about a book and, and to have a platform for it. Because, yeah. And that's one of the wonders of the last, you know, few years really. Like even, yeah. you know, when I released my first novel or when I, what was it now, like, you know, six or seven years ago and when my poetry manuscript, manuscript came out um my poetry book about five years ago like the podcasting was still in its infancy I mean it's yeah. amazing how quickly it's changed yeah. and so having the capacity to be able to talk 
uh, about the work uh, is just it's amazing it, it's it's very cathartic in a way yeah 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 helps. well yeah. Um, so, so you've probably saved me maybe three hundred dollars on therapy <laughs> there you go um i've got to thank you uh, so much for your time thank you so much i have enjoyed our chat and hopefully we'll talk when you next publish thank you so much it's really really great to be able to talk with you If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere. Or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of ebooks and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. are on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.